0: This is America on the Road, named Best Radio Show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 30th year on the air... Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest auto information from around the world. Slowdown in growth of electric vehicles is causing many auto executives around the world to do more than just wring their hands and shrug their shoulders. It's having serious economic effects across the globe, and we'll tell you about that coming up. In more positive news, Honda is making wireless Apple CarPlay and wireless Android Auto available to more than half a million owners of older Honda models. The auto industry is trying to kill AM radio, but an unusual coalition is fighting to save it. I among them. I certainly love AM radio and always have, so uh, I think we deserve to still have it. A proposed new California law would put speed governors on every new vehicle sold in the somewhat tarnished Golden State. We'll have more on that development and. Our comments coming up. I'm I'm Jack red With me is co-host Chris Teague. And I, what's the latest in your household, Chris? What's going on there?
1: Well, we're enduring quite the cold snap here right now, Jack. We were down to I think eight or nine degrees this morning, but uh, yikes! Right around the end of January is when I start thinking about the end of April, which is when the sun starts coming back out here. So. Uh, it's going to be a long couple of months.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, February is kind of a brutal month. My my dad would spend the month of February having left Chicago and spending it in Southern California, pretty much, because, man, winter gets pretty old in, in February, and then the uh, beginning of March, it gets even worse. So Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, let's do a little business here. America on the Road is brought to you by DrivingToday.com, YourTestDriver.com. You yeah, Lancey.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and of course, Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Well, as your listeners know, Chris lives at one end of the country and I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how you can save some money on your car. Of course, we also road test a couple of vehicles each week. And Chris, uh, what is the road test vehicle for you this week?
1: I drove the 2024 Acura TLX Type S. It's a sporty sedan, and I can't wait to tell you about it. Well, I
0: look forward to hearing it. We have kind of a comparable comparo here. Uh, I'll be road testing the 2024 Lexus ES300H Ultra Luxury. Not exactly sporty, but uh, certainly about the same size as the, uh, as the Acura you're testing. Um, premium sedan with a hybrid powertrain. Uh, this week, our special guest is Mike Spagnola. He is president and CEO of the Specialty Equipment Market Association, or SEMA. His organization does an immense amount of work for companies in the automotive industry, especially the aftermarket, and uh, they sponsor one of the biggest trade shows in the country, a really fabulous trade show. Have you ever attended the SEMA show, Chris?
1: I haven't. I can never seem to break away in, in the time to go to Las Vegas and see the show. So
0: It's a terrific show, and I think you'll enjoy our conversation with them. It's not generally open to the public, but they're starting to open uh, it to the public on a on the last day, I think, of the show. So we'll talk to him about that. Of course, you would get in as a member of the press, as, as I have for years and years and years. Uh, let's talk about this industry news, most precisely about electric car demand hitting a slowdown. And this isn't just a, oops, uh, you know, this kind of happened. I mean, this this can do uh, as wide ranging ramifications for uh, car makers, for their suppliers who uh, are planning on X number of electric vehicles, and maybe it's X minus uh, these days instead of X plus, and that has ramifications. Uh, it causes pain, bankruptcies, potentially, uh there are IPOs that are not happening, initial public offerings that aren't happening, production cuts all over the place. Companies are rearranging what they're doing. What's your overall take on how this is affecting the industry and, and the economy?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the bigger question here is what the impact is going to be on, as you mentioned, the suppliers and things like that. Because a company like Ford, uh, you know, they, they mentioned losing a couple of billion dollars on their their uh, Model E electric business last year and they've pulled back some investments and things like that. So, uh, you know, it's not going to put Ford out of business. They can certainly weather this storm, but um, I'd be concerned if I was, you know, a, a lower tier supplier of some of these components.
0: I'll tell you, some of these uh, car companies even are leveraged more than one thinks, you know, and kind of living on the edge. If I were at General Motors right now, I guess I would be a, a bit nervous. I mean, they certainly have bet a lot on electric vehicles. They've been slow to come to the market with the electric vehicles that they've developed already. And uh, then they see a market slowdown. They're, they're trying to put a, a good face on it. Mary Barra, who is uh, head of General Motors, um, was kind of smiling about the fact that uh, there's a forecast that electric vehicles will be 10% of the market this year versus 7% last year. I mean i guess that's nice growth but it's certainly nowhere near half the market or if you're kind of leading with electric vehicles and elon musk is saying that this slowdown in sales growth um, is quite substantial and as a result of that the tesla shares lost 80 billion dollars as a stock valuation uh in one day i mean that's a lot of wealth going out the window i mean Think about that.
1: Yeah, you know, when they planned these investments, especially GM and the others, you know, here in America, Tesla included, there were um, projections that the the EV market was going to grow like crazy over the next couple of years, and then uh, that didn't pan out, so they've got to pull back. I will say that I think that this could be a good thing for Tesla, at least in the short term, because they are well-positioned with some reasonably affordable uh, vehicles. You know, the Model 3 recently got a uh, refresh, and so it's not – for tax credits right now, but the Model Y is, and it's the best-selling EV in the world. So I think Tesla is maybe uniquely positioned to, to get out ahead here, even yeah. further ahead than they already are.
0: It's interesting to see what analysts have to say about this. I always kind of get a kick out of the analyst community who opine about these things and then maybe reverse course. And uh, they're, they're not necessarily betting billions of dollars the way the companies they advise are. But uh, this is from, and I'm not pointing to this particular analyst, a guy named Tim. I think it's Kowski is what his name is. He's a portfolio manager at ACR Alpine Capital Research. Uh, this is what he says. The reality is that the adoption curve will be slower and there will be pushback to regulators about fuel economy. It'll just be a longer ramp than perhaps we initially Anticipated well, a longer ramp could bankrupt a lot of company. A longer ramp could put some companies that were betting on this, uh, you know, definitely on the edge. So it's not just the shrug of the shoulders here. This is kind of big big stuff
1: no and to be fair to buyers they're telling automakers what they want there have been numerous surveys saying i don't want to buy an ev because it's more expensive than a gas vehicle i'm not confident in the reliability of the evs that we have and then you see some reviews coming out the blazer evs not doing so well now you know things like that so uh, i think there are some speed bumps to overcome you know they could absolutely be overcome with a little bit of uh a little bit of time. Hopefully there is time for some of these companies, like you said.
0: Yeah, well, here's a warning uh, sign, too. German EV sales, this includes plug-in hybrid models, fell fell 16% last year. And they're forecast to drop another 9%, This, according to this Reuters report. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean... <laughs> We're seeing slower growth in the United States. Here, we're seeing a fall off, and that's a big deal.
1: Yeah, I would ask where those buyers are going. Are they coming out of a PHEV and going to an EV? Like, which direction are they headed when they get rid of that, that plug in hybrid? So, that would be my question, but that is an alarming, should be alarming for automakers.
0: Yeah. Well, this is better news, actually. The fact that Honda is making available. Uh, wireless Apple CarPlay and wireless Android Auto, great functionality. I think you and I both like that. To more than 600,000, 631,000 owners of Accords. Uh, this is in the 2018 to 2022 model year Accords. They can just go into a Honda dealer and for about 125 bucks, maybe 150 or something like that, they can get this functionality that they didn't have before. I mean, that, that's pretty cool. What's your reaction to that?
1: Yeah, I think it's a good way to keep buyers in the Honda family. You know, you have a couple year old, 3 or 4 year old Accord and you're looking at a new car for the better technology. Well, if you can get that upgrade, then you're going to stick with a Honda and you may upgrade to a Honda down the road. I think it's also just a, a nice move in general. You know, so many times automakers force you to buy the newest thing to get the best technology or the best features. Um, so it's a nice thing. And aftermarket head units that offer this technology, they're nowhere near as as integrated or as nice as some of the factory units. So uh, this is a good solution for people who want that tech.
0: Yeah, I think it's very, very cool. I don't know how you feel about AM radio. I grew up with AM radio. Of course, I'm much older than you are. And I, I, I love AM radio. I still listen to AM radio in the car. And There is a push by several automakers, just get rid of it. And I I can't imagine how much you're saving by getting rid of an AM tuner in a car, Uh, but they're apparently pushing that. And now uh, a bunch of um, people in Congress are kind of banding together, others of course too, talk radio folks among others to. Continue to have AM radio in vehicles. It's kind of an interesting group too. I mean, a wide, a wide ranging a group as Ted Cruz and Rashida Tlaib are all uh, on the AM uh, radio. Let's keep it bandwagon. Uh, what's your quick take on that?
1: Yeah, I'm all for keeping it, Jack. We're on AM radio, so the better it's all better for us and everybody else as well. You know, I think there were a, a various excuses given for why. Uh, automakers wanted to get rid of this from safety to other issues, but I think it all comes down to money. So um, hopefully they can figure it out.
0: Right. Well, here's a frightening thing to me as a California resident: this proposed California bill that's going to put speed uh, yeah, speed limiters, governors, on every new model year vehicle sold from uh, 2027 on. I mean, what's your take on a a governor that would limit your ability to drive more than 10 miles an hour over the current speed limit?
1: Yeah, I think it could be really, really dangerous depending on where you're driving. You know, Southern California's parts of Texas, 10 miles an hour over the speed limit might as well be 25 miles an hour under the speed limit. Um, I'd also say as long as there are other vehicles on the road, then you're going to be limited to driving much slower than than the pre-2027 vehicles. So, uh, I think that this, this is one one thing that I'll consider an overreach. In fact, maybe many things I'll consider overreach, but definitely this.
0: Yeah, I think this is a big overreach, too. And uh, maybe we can talk about this more on an upcoming show because <laughs> it's got me kind of up in arms. Uh, and uh, I, I think really it's it's a safety issue. Uh, just wanting to pass a vehicle on a two-lane road, for example, you probably want to go maybe more than 10 miles an hour over the speed limit uh, just for safety reasons and get that pass done and over and behind you. Well, when we come back, we will be road testing some very cool vehicles, the Acura TLX Type S and the Lexus ES308. So stay with us for that. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris. Jesus, back with you for road test time, we've got uh, some pretty cool cars. We're not talking about sport utility vehicles here, pickup trucks. We're talking about two cars. We're actually road testing. Uh, maybe a first. This, well, probably a first this year, I would think, and maybe in a long time. But uh, pretty cool cars. You have an Acura model that's uh, quite sporty. Tell us about
1: it. Yeah, Acura updated the TLX uh, for 2024. It got a new front fascia, new bumper. Um, and some uh, price bump, as always, with the new model year. But uh, it does have a new look. So the TLX is quite a sporty sedan, Jack. I would consider it less so than some of its German counterparts. But it's a nice, comfortable car inside. Acura offers a few configurations here. I tested the Type S model, which is the range-topping car. It came out to around $60,000 after um, the options that that had the base car with the four-cylinder engines around $47,000. So you can spend quite a bit less on this if you don't care about uh, the most performance model out of the group. Um, but taking a step back, it's got a twin-turbo 3.0-liter V6 engine, 355 horsepower, 354 pound-feet of torque. Jack, have you driven a recent TLX? Because the powertrain hasn't changed with this update. This has been around for a little while.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think it has been quite a while, actually, since I drove a TLX. I have to get into one. I have to talk to my friends over at Acura and see what they can do.
1: Sounds like a plan. Um, So all-wheel drive is available. My car came with all-wheel drive. It is a front-wheel drive-oriented system, so you're not going to get any like crazy rally action out of this. But it is very good in the snow. We had a a pretty big snowstorm a few weeks ago when I had the car. Um, And even with the regular all-season tires, it had it, it did just fine so uh, i think you'd be fine with all-wheel drive and, and the tires that it comes from the factory with but i'm not gonna step out of a limb there because they're ice and things it could definitely throw at some some uh, curveballs so a 10-speed automatic transmission comes standard you get paddle shifters here uh it does rev matching on downshift so you get some some cool motorsports type performance things here but again this car for me is more of a comfortable car than it is a, a sporty, sharp uh, performance sedan. Uh, even though it does 0 to 60 in around 5 seconds with that twin-turbo V6, it actually sounds pretty good, too. Uh, Jack, I think this is one of those cars that I would look at more of as a commuter, as a cruiser, even with the more aggressive engine and, and the styling that comes, comes with that. So the Type S on the inside has leather upholstery. My test car had heated and ventilated seats wireless charging a heated steering wheel so it had the entire comfort package here and you really do get room for five people in this car i think Uh, a lot of times you see five seats and you think well who would want to ride in the middle of the back seat Um, there's decent room here this car is wide enough and the back seat is well padded enough that uh, you know you could probably throw an adult there for a short trip but definitely a kid would be would be fine for even you know a longer a longer road trip no problem there plenty of trunk space here i had no trouble making our full family grocery run for four people that included two bags of dog food some cat litter and you know the whole the whole shebang there so um, i think from a space and a comfort standpoint this car uh, has both and spades And you can even with the Type S uh, get a sporty red interior with black Alcantara inserts so you can get your racy look without actually getting the sort of giving up the things that you would have to uh, to get such a sporty car. Ah, uh, they all come with 12.3-inch uh, infotainment screen. This is not a touchscreen. This is the uh, touch spat touch pad system that you get in in Acuras. And Jack, I'm going to get your opinion on this. I think I struggle with this one more than I have in past Acuras. What do you think about it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I struggle with those. It, it used to be, and I, you know, I guess I'm uh, there's a laptop, uh, you know, in my office with a a touchpad that I use all the time. And sometimes it's frustrating to even use that, uh, you know, for word processing and that kind of stuff things we do so it's particularly vexing when you can't uh, exactly look at what you're doing and you know it's down to your right a a bit and uh it's just not the the best situation i think
1: yeah unlike a a touchpad on a computer where you're kind of moving a mouse around this one responds to where you touch on the touchpad with an input on the screen and like you said when you're driving that's just not something that I don't want to deal with that when I'm driving. Even if it's on a road that I know really well um, with no traffic, that's just too much distraction for me. I I wish beyond a wish that we could get something different because I think the rest of Acura's interior, the technology is great. The ELS Studio Sound System is fantastic. Uh, the included safety equipment here, you get a full accurate watch system, so forward collision warnings, uh, automatic emergency braking, this car had blind spot monitoring. So uh, really the only letdown for me here, Jack, is that it's not quite as sharp in the performance department as it looks, but that's not really a bad thing given the comfort level that you get here. And then I think the infotainment screen, the infotainment controller um, is, is quite infuriating. And I think it's bad <laughs> enough for me to use that word. Otherwise, I think it's a well-rounded car that competes uh, nicely in the segment.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a shame, right? Because that could be a deal breaker for something. I mean, it's something you use all the time. And if you're just angry at it all the time, I, <laughs> you know, do you need that? Yeah. Well, I was driving a car that... Um, is distinctly not sporty. (laughs) They kind of pushed that. Even the F-Sport version of the Lexus ES, I don't think is particularly sporty. It kind of looks sporty, I guess, but in terms of overall drive, And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I think there's a lot to be said for a a luxury sedan that's just luxurious, just comfortable, quiet, you know, has a nice ride quality to it and a lot of features. And that certainly describes the uh, Lexus ES in a nutshell. I mean, this is a very um, Commodious vehicle, a lot of room, not only in the front seat area but also in the rear seats. I mean, you talked about the rear seats in the TLX just now. I think you could say that in spades about the Lexus ES. There's a plenty of room and plenty of rear seat legroom too. I mean, this is a front drive model, and they uh, emphasize the packaging. Packaging means putting people in it, <laughs> in in auto speak. It comes in 12 different trim levels. I was driving an interesting trim level in that it's a, a hybrid version and a 300h ultra-luxury, so it's filled with stuff, and at the same time, it has a, as you would guess, a a hybrid powertrain. costs about $50,000 or so. I think the price as tested of this vehicle was $53,480 or in that order. Just a ton of luxury items. Uh, 12.3-inch infotainment screen. Uh, touch screen with navigation, head up display. It has leather trim, power rear sunshade. I kind of like those, uh, you know, heated wood and leather trim steering wheel, you know, stuff like that. 18 inch wheels, just a lot of good stuff. Panoramic view monitor, uh, rear uh, pedestrian detection, a ton of stuff. When you go to the hybrid powertrain, you get a 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine with an electric motor, and the total horsepower uh, output—not outfit, but output—is 215, which seems really low, right? I mean, that just it doesn't seem like uh, it would be, uh, you know, very sprightly at all. You might might struggle. The good news is with the electric motor. Uh, you get a lot of torque. So we, I think it feels stronger than that. I, I think it probably feels like a vehicle with maybe 250 horsepower, which for a vehicle that's just meant to boulevard around and be comfortable uh, and not fly through the canyons, I, I think it's perfectly appropriate. What's, what's your take on that, Chris?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the hybrid system helps it, like you said, get off the line a little bit better and makes it feel livelier than it is. And I, I think it's really refreshing that Lexus, despite the fact that they've kind of edged in towards this aggressive styling Actually, they've been there for a long time. But I respect the fact that they've created, you know, they've left the ES largely alone. It's still a luxury cruiser. It's still a very comfortable car. And they haven't tried to make it too sporty, at least in terms of, like, the the performance. So it's worked out well.
0: Right. I mean, underneath this thing, of course, is the Toyota Camry, which is an excellent car in and of itself. And it really works out quite well. Uh, And then they essentially decorate it inside with wood and leather and, you know, you wouldn't mistake this interior for the Camry's interior it's much more plush um, the good news on the hybrid system is excellent fuel economy so you have this nice big cruising boulevard car that gets something like 43 44 miles per gallon uh, on the highway and in the city i mean that's uh, certainly nice isn't it
1: yeah and you know for luxury buyers even any buyers that sort of efficiency is great it makes the the makes the purchase feel a lot more uh, friendly and valuable down the road when you're not still shelling out tons for gas.
0: Right. You can get an ES, an ES350, which is actually quite a nice car for $43,000, something like that. So for another $10,000 or so, you can get this ultra luxury version with the hybrid powertrain. You can also get an ultra luxury version uh, with the um, 350 power plant, uh, the same kind of engine and and more horsepower there. That's a uh, not even a thousand dollars less than the hybrid i think probably the hybrid in this sense makes pretty good sense over time for the right kind of buyer it's it's not necessarily my cup of tea but uh for cruising around town for the luxury buyer who wants something that's super high quality super comfortable i think this uh, lexus es 300h in ultra luxury trim is, is a pretty good bargain. I agree. Yeah. So very good vehicles this time around. Kind of comparable vehicles, and neither one maybe getting your sporting juices going. I may probably the Type S TLX from Acura is is going to be a bit sportier than the than the ES three hundred H for certain. Uh, but at the same time, I think a lot of value there in the luxury, and it's kind of refreshing, isn't it, to drive a sedan.
1: It is. I always love it, even though I own a hatchback. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there you go. And when we
0: come back, uh, we will be uh, doing an interview with Mike Spagnola. He is president and CEO of SEMA, the Special Equipment Market Association, talking about the auto aftermarket, what's going on there, what the trends are, all of that. So stay with us for that, and we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Inner peace, self-respect, emotional fulfillment. Are you finding these worthwhile goals difficult to achieve? Are you looking for success and satisfaction in your job but not finding it? Are you thinking about starting a business but don't know what will set it apart from all the others? You can continue to struggle on your own, or you can unleash the undeniable power of the GR factor. I'm Jack Arniret, host of America on the Road. For years, I've found success in business and in my personal life by using the concepts I outline clearly in my book, the GR Factor. Your best self is inside you right now, just waiting to be unleashed. Inspiring all that is the best in you, the GR Factor will guide your journey, elevate your game, recast your relationships, and transform your daily life. If you want to change your life for the better, read the GR Factor. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at emlancy.com. That's the GR Factor by Jack Arne Red. Thanks for checking it out. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. We're in a very special place, actually. We're at SEMA, kind of a shrine. (laughs) Anybody who knows about the uh, automobile aftermarket uh, knows all about SEMA. Specialty Equipment Market Association, Correct. and with me is the CEO and President, Mike Spagnola. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks we do appreciate it. What an honor to be here. Well, it's really an honor for me to be here, Thanks. and uh, it's been a while since I've been here, I, well before COVID, I think, when I was last here. But tell our, our listeners who don't know about SEMA what SEMA is before we dive into what's going on.
2: Yeah, so we are a trade organization, and we represent hundreds of actually thousands of manufacturers and Part stores and jobbers across the world, really. Um, so we uh, we help our manufacturers develop products, take them to market. We have a pretty famous trade show called the SEMA Show that we do every year in Las Vegas. Um, you know, we have a government affairs division that you know looked out after our manufacturers and uh, you know works with uh, regulators and um, just so many things. We do education. We do help manufacturers develop products and take them to market, which is at the SEMA garage right now. Um, right. That's why we're and here. So, yeah. And so, so many different things that we do as a trade organization to help our, really our goal is to help small mom and pop up to big manufacturers grow and prosper. Yeah, And then on the distribution side, small mom and pop parts stores up to major retail chains also prosper. So we really foster the whole automotive community. It's all aftermarket products. So. It's those things after
0: you well, buy the car. Well, define vehicle. that for us. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a, an alien term to some people, what sure. the aftermarket is, but it, it's a massive business. It, uh, automotive is certainly massive, but the aftermarket is massive. Tell yeah, us about it.
2: That. Is. It is. I mean, to give you an idea, we just did our economic survey, and we're a $337 billion a year industry. Yeah. And so um, it's everything that you would think of. So if you were to go to the dealership and buy a new car, anything from floor mats to larger tires and wheels to even industrial, if you're... If you're a you know contractor, you need a truck rack, or if you need a better trailer hitch, or any of those sorts of things. So it's all the products that you would want to put on your vehicle after the vehicle is bought. Yeah.
0: And I mean, off-roading, certainly sure. all of that kind of stuff, that yeah. has become a major, major, major point yep. of uh, emphasis for yeah. you guys. Yeah. I you know,
2: camping supplies, off-road, you know, anything that you would do with your vehicle and take it off-road. You know, Overland is the new big thing now, which is these— trucks or even smaller cars now, but they've got a tent on the roof and they've got all of that. So that's all aftermarket products. And it's everything from something very utilitarian up to fully customized $300,000 trucks, um, you know, um, maybe the fast and furious vehicles. So in any sort of sports car or anything that's been modified, that's us. And we represent all those manufacturers.
0: Yeah, and maybe started with hot rodding and that kind of things, it but did. it's it's gone way beyond that, right? I mean, that right. certainly speed performance products are still an important part of your business. For sure. But there's a lot of other things that are important too, it, aren't there? Yeah, it is.
2: And You know, SEMA is now 60 years old. It started in the 60s, and it did. It started with those hot rodder guys who wanted to form a trade association to kind of protect their interests. And um, from that grew into a trade show. We're now one of the largest trade shows in America uh, that we do in Las Vegas. Uh, we just had the show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's um, it's a fun. I've spent my life in it, so
0: it's, it's just a, been an yeah, amazing,
2: yeah. fun, passionate industry that
0: uh, continues to grow. Yeah, I mean the trade show is just an absolute toy store for anybody who likes cars. Everything about that show is is awesome, I, and I think consumers can attend. Can they not? Or they,
2: they can finally. It's always been the show that the consumer couldn't attend, uh-huh. and uh, it's one hundred and sixty thousand business to business only. Uh, customers or members in the past this year we uh, and actually we started last year we opened it up on Friday to consumers yeah. so up to 10,000 consumers could come you know we sell a ticket and they could come to the show and then we started a consumer facing show only called SEMA Fest this year ah, okay. And it was Friday and Saturday uh, complete with music and car events and all of that so awesome. we're finally letting the consumer in And uh, it's exciting times. Yeah, behind the
0: curtain a little bit. Tell us, uh, you know, I'm here today for a measuring session, which is kind of way uh, inside baseball. But uh, tell our listeners what that's all about.
2: Yeah, so it ties into the SEMA garage, which we developed uh, nearly 11 years ago now. But uh, what we do, you know, one of the things that we want to do is continue to work alongside the OE's. So we continue to work along Ford and GM and Toyota and Stellantis and all these manufacturers because... I think we recognize and they recognize that the more accessories that are available, the more sales they're going to make. And um, sometimes that can be a love-hate relationship with the OE because some don't want us modifying their perfect vehicle. (laughs) But most recognize that the more consumer uh, opportunities there are for aftermarket products, the more vehicles are going to sell. And so um, we started this program some years back called Measuring Sessions where we work alongside the OEs. And they give us vehicles before they come out. So today, here at the SEMA Garage, we have the new to- Toyota Tacoma's highly anticipated truck, uh, this new one. It's an all-new truck. They're beautiful. They're here now. And we invite manufacturers to come in and virtually measure them. And so we have, um, we'll take the vehicles apart. We'll take the brakes off and the suspension off. And the. And, and By
0: manufacturers, you're talking about people who make aftermarket me- parts. Me- so you're products. your members who right. make them. Our members, right. <laughs> yeah.
2: So so we'll bring in aftermarket shock guys, and we'll bring in aftermarket brake guys, and aftermarket tire and wheel guys, and, and um, engine component people that want to have more high performance out of the vehicle. And virtually, you can think about a truck, every bed accessory that's available. So uh, I think we have over 200 manufacturers here over this week that have come in, and uh, you know, today, um, what we can do is we've got technology, uh, for example, we have a ferro arm or a CMM machine where I can virtually scan any part on the vehicle and put it in the computer in CAD mm-hmm. modify that part in the computer in CAD and spit that image back out to a 3d printer and bolt it back onto the car. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, um,
0: so CAD we, being computer aided design, right. right. So,
2: so Toyota, for example, they are bringing us these trucks. Uh, a couple of the models aren't going to be out till for another six months but we have them here in the garage now so we're getting to see them before the consumer gets to see them before anybody gets to see them our manufacturers come in we do this development work so when that truck hits the market there are hundreds of accessories ready to go on yeah
0: it. which makes a big difference otherwise it would be months it would you know, be months, months right bev- before and, that stuff was available
2: and consumers make a choice on a vehicle based on those aftermarket products mm-hmm. right so let's just save four months and we've got several media here as well so, uh, manufacturers are coming in. Let's just say they want to develop better suspension or better brakes or better tires and wheels or bed accessories for that truck. Our manufacturers are getting those products developed right now, here today, in the garage. And when that truck hits the market, those accessories will be on that truck. It'll hit different media sources. It, consumers will see those vehicles customized and then make a decision on which vehicle they're going to buy. Yeah. And so that really working conjunction with Toyota helps Toyota sell more trucks.
1: Yeah,
0: it works for everybody, right? The consumer gets the pieces, uh, parts and pieces they want uh, to make their vehicle even better, you know, right right from the get-go. So so
2: as a manufacturer, as a SEMA manufacturer, it's really a great tool to be a, makes them want to be a member, but it's a great tool that we give them this opportunity to work directly alongside the OEs. The OE engineers are here, the Toyota people are here, talking to the manufacturers about the products that they want to develop, which is really the best of both worlds. So it's a great collaboration between Toyota and SEMA and those manufacturers, and it's one we really hold highly.
0: Yeah, yeah. as you shouldn't. It's, it's terrific for everybody, as yeah. I say. What are some of the, the biggest trends now in the aftermarket business? I mean, we've talked about off-roading a little bit, yep. overlanding. Tell us yeah. what's what's really hot.
2: You know, it's, it's really interesting because it depends on the market segment you're in, right? Um, but for sure right now, overlanding is hot. So in uh, overlanding, it really is just this ability to get out in the wilderness and camp and um, but it always used to be trucks only, you know, it was, mm-hmm. and certainly the truck market is huge for that. Uh, you're seeing these trucks now with tents on the roofs and all these accessories in the bed, and and no longer is it the 35-foot ho- motorhome. It's really a younger crowd that's getting out in the wilderness for the weekend. And they're really in the wilderness. I mean, this isn't like an
0: RV park kind no, of, you know, no, sitting no. around a campfire and, kind of you thing. Know, this is com- way out there.
2: Yeah, completely contained, solar panels, you know, getting out in the middle of nowhere, and setting up a tent and sleeping on the roof of their car, virtually in this tent. Mm -hmm. But now it's moved into even smaller crossover vehicles. So you're seeing smaller cars, Subarus and different cars with these Overland accessories on them, um, you know, and and all wheel drive vehicles and all that. And even older, for example, an older Lexus uh, 470 is now the hot vehicle because they're all wheel drive. They got a big engine. You could put, they last three or 400,000 miles. You can put. These you can get them fairly reasonably, reasonably uh, yep. priced. yeah. And so, um, especially younger generation, they may take their uh, mountain bikes with them. They may take different things. But just getting away for the weekend has become a big deal, and that market is growing like crazy. There are trade shows or there are consumer shows now that only do overland do products. overlanding, yeah.
0: yeah. What are some of the other trends? What, know, what else is hot? You know,
2: the the uh, what I call the tuna market is back. You know, it was the that fast and furious crowd of the 80s kind of dwindled off and now it's back hot. So uh, a lot of Japanese cars that are modified um, and uh, of course lowered, better suspension again, better engine tuning products, uh, always hot. Um, You
0: know, the hot rod thing is still big. And when we come back, we'll have more from SEMA's Mike Spagnola on his look at the future of the auto aftermarket. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to America on the Road with co-host Chris Teague. This is Jack Nerad with you. And let's continue our interview with Mike Spagnola. He's president and CEO of the Specialty Equipment Market Association, or SEMA. Let's go to that right now. Well, I, and I want to ask you about electrics. Uh, yeah. Because they have some incredible straight-line performance, right? right? I mean, just right. like mind-blowing. 3.5 seconds, 0 yep. to 60, and lower. You know, I think one I, I was looking at was under two seconds zero to 60. I think uh, it may be a Lucid Motors uh, vehicle. That's crazy, but it's it's kind of a different thing. Uh, how does that affect your members, and, and and what's going on with that?
2: Yeah, so there's uh, I could go on for hours about the EV market, <laughs> but, you know, look, we think it's part of the future, for sure. And it's an exciting new burgeoning area. Two areas there. We're seeing a lot of uh, conversion now, where they're taking older vehicles and putting electric motors in them. So that's kind of the new hot rod deal, right? We yeah. You know, my generation did... Different
0: Yeah, I'd love types to see an electric 57 Chevy. Yeah, th- so kinda that's, kinda, that's happening. That's kind of cool, right? Yeah, that's yeah. happening. So yeah. we're
2: seeing SEMA manufacturers develop products that where you can put an electric crate motor into a 69 Camaro or whatever it might be. And we probably had, I'll bet we had close to 100 vehicles that were EV conversion this year at the at the show. At so the show. it used to be that you brought a um, Tesla, you'd find a wrecked Tesla, and you'd pull the guts out of it and put it into whatever, that 69 Camaro. But now we're seeing electric motor uh, manufacturers, brand new electric motors come out, mm. the conversion uh, things that are needed for that, the battery packs, uh, you know, all the uh, cables and uh, switches and all that. So, we're seeing aftermarket companies come out with products now yeah. Yeah. to do those conversions. But, you know, the other piece of that is that, um, and one of the things we were really excited about at the show this year, we really talked about future technology and future fuels. So, we're big believers in the fact that EV is part of the future and certainly it's got, its ups and downs and some of its growing pains and its infrastructure and all that that's going on, exciting times. Um, But we think that the future includes hydrogen, it includes synthetic fuels, includes all these different, you know, the the, if you think about an internal combustion engine, it's not a bad technology. It's what you put in it. Well,
0: you know, I think if they had invented it yesterday and came to market with it, it would be hailed as absolutely amazing. You you drill something into the ground and pull stuff up, uh, you know, that would otherwise, who knows that it even exists. And then you power millions of vehicles with that. I mean, it's it's kind of a miracle
2: in a way. It is. So, you know, it's, look, it's not going to go away overnight. Um, Again, we're running hydrogen into uh, internal combustion engines now right. so um, so I think that technology continues I think um, you're seeing Porsche and some other put hundreds of millions of dollars into synthetic fuels and all of that so uh, I think the future is all those technologies and it's not one answer it you know it's people who ask me often what's my favorite car and I, I have a <laughs> few cars and I say for what purpose you know mm-hmm. for you know if I'm going uh, into the desert and taking my dirt bike I want my truck if I'm Going out with the misses, I want a nicer luxury car. If I'm going to go canyon carving, I take my Nissan Z. And so, um, I th- think the same goes for everybody else. You know, depending on your needs, you're going to have a different s- sort of vehicle or a different propulsion based on that. Certainly, right now around the city, EVs perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, you get out on a long cross country, there's Not still so some much. issues. Yeah, <laughs> there's still much. some issues. So,
0: so much. how about hot rodding? EVs. I mean, getting more performance out of what's there. Yeah, I mean. so, so that's a little harder, quite
2: honestly. Um, the ability to take a Tesla and even make it faster is pretty difficult because it's a closed system, it's a lock system. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean you can't put different tires and wheels on it and different suspension and a lot of the other things. You know, if you think about the new Ford Lightning, it's still a truck so even though you can't necessarily hot rod the the engine and you don't need to because it's got a lot of power and a lot of torque you still need all the bed accessories you can still lift them you can still put all the other accessories that go along with it so you know does the um, market for engine high performance continue on i think it continues on for a long time but it is going to be different on ev Uh, you know there'll be some point where you'll be able to make the vehicle faster. But I got to tell you, most of them are pretty fast, right? now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a maybe faster than they should be. In a lot of yeah, ways. yeah, you know, there's a, there's a, a video that I saw the other day where the new Tesla truck races a Porsche on the drag strip and it beats the Porsche. The funny thing is at the end, you see that the Tesla truck is towing a Porsche with it. So, so the Tesla truck is towing a Porsche and it still beats the 911 going down the street. Yeah, yeah. Instant power and torque
0: pretty amazing. Well, Mike Spagnola, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Terrific stuff you're doing at SEMA. It's always interesting. And I hope we can talk again real soon. I would love
2: to again. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: And that was our interview with SEMA's Mike Spagnola. Our thanks to Mike for joining us. And I think we have time for at least one listener question. So we'll take that listener question. Uh, This is a fairly big question, I think, from Leon in Pocatello, Idaho. Leon says this, I hear you guys saying the transition to electric vehicles is inevitable, but is it? Do you think that in the next 10 years or so, we will totally switch to electric vehicles?
1: I don't think anything is inevitable, Jack. <laughs> I think What right. what we're what, what is more likely in my mind is that we end up in some sort of uh, a state where we have a sub, like, significant reduction in emissions, and that might be hybrids, plug-in hybrids, electric vehicles, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, uh, et cetera. I think you know, you're seeing some of this pullback. We talked about it earlier in the show. General Motors is going to bring back a plug-in hybrid because their dealers want more hybrids and buyers want hybrids. Uh, So, you know, I don't think anything's inevitable. I think the government and and people that are uh, environmentally conscious really want electric vehicles to take over the world. But uh, we're nowhere near being ready for that from a logistics standpoint, from a charging standpoint, from an economic standpoint. So, uh, no, I don't think it's inevitable. And I I think it could be a lot longer than what people really want or expect it to be.
0: Yeah, I I think there are much more efficient, you know, cost-effective ways to limit emissions and to combat global climate change, if indeed it can be combated. Because if you look through natural history, you know, we've seen global cl- climate change uh, over the centuries, you know, over the millennia. So I don't know that we can kind of stop the weather. Uh, which is a much more simplistic than <laughs> is accurate version of what's going on here. I'm also pretty doubtful that we live in the age when the earth is going to end. <laughs> After the earth being around 40 billion years, I'm not sure that this is the the uh, century in which it's going to happen. But who knows? As I say, there are cost of way, uh, effective ways to limit emissions. And I think maybe over time, we're going to find out that uh, Limiting emissions is not necessarily what we need to do or we need to spend trillions of dollars to do. Maybe we just adapt to climate changing as human beings have adapted to climate changing for the last, I don't know, 40 million years as long (laughs) as they've been on the planet. So that's kind of a from 50,000 feet or above kind of my view of this thing. Uh, I don't know that getting uh, electric vehicle market share up to say 15% or 20% going to make a hill of beans difference in terms of uh, climate change.
1: Yeah, and I think, how did I say this? I think that the focus on the automotive industry as the only polluter or as the you know most significant polluter um, There might be some truth in that, but there's also a whole lot of other industries that need some revisions here. You know, the airline industry, the cruise ship industry, the logistics and trucking industry. So, uh, you know, I don't again, I keep saying this over and over again. It's not a given that electric vehicles are going to be the savior here, nor is it a given that people are going to buy them once they become more available and things like that. So uh, there are a lot of things playing into this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that people are even uh, talking about farming and the food industry and ranching and all those kind of things as potential uh, potentially contributors to this whole issue. And I'm not sure whether they want to take us back to where we're just hunter-gatherers, <laughs> that we don't use any energy and uh, we don't have agriculture. Because, I mean, there's some people, I guess, who feel that way. And I guess they're welcome to feel that way. But I think most people are are happy that we have industrialized agriculture and and fairly cheap food and and those kind of things, and, and personal transportation.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Well,
0: there you go. Big issues here on America on the Road, maybe bigger than uh, the show warrants. But in any case, I'd love to hear <laughs> what's going on at uh, your yourtestdriver.com, tre- Chris.
1: Yeah, as I mentioned last week, Jack, we're doing a, not a pivot, but a, I'll say a, an expansion into more video content. So we've got, uh, I have a comparison coming between WeatherTech aftermarket floor mats and the factory floor mats that cost twice as much. Um, We have some tires, a tire comparison coming in the next couple of weeks. So some very exciting things there. We're bringing some extra people uh, to help out because I've been very busy running around doing my own thing. So um, you should see some new names there, but definitely the video content. So check it out in the next week or two.
0: Yeah, by all means, check out yourtestdriver.com, bookmark it, visit there, visit there often, see what Chris is up to. Chris and his... His cronies there are up to. <laughs> and uh, if you're on the Internet, check out on Amazon my newest book, Dance in the Dark, if you would. If you like crime, I'm not saying you're in favor of crime, but maybe you want to read about crime because it is a crime thriller. I think you'll enjoy it. Kind of a very colorful book. And I think have a lot of fun. If you like America on the Road, please pass it along. Let people know when you listen to it on this radio station on the Sports Map network of radio stations. We appreciate that, of course. And uh, like it, you know, subscribe to our podcast if you would. And uh, we would appreciate that very much. And uh, easy to find our podcast, isn't it, Chris?
1: It is. You can head to the sportsmapradio.com website. There you can find us on the Saturday morning schedule. Uh, You can get our formatted radio podcast or, which is better for us, you can download from one of the major platforms, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and the others. And if you like us, subscribe and leave us a review. It definitely helps us continue growing.
0: We would appreciate that. And most of all, we appreciate you listening to America on the Road. We know you have a lot of things to choose from. And when it comes to listening to things and listening to America on the Road is, uh, is something you've done for us. So we appreciate it very, very much. And join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. Hi, this is Jackie Rad, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him. He meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel, so he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle e-book at Amazon and at E.M. Lancy Publishers. Right now it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arnie Redd. Thanks for checking it out.